Hi everyone, my name is Matt Barnhill and I'm a friend of the Bridge Fellowship. Uh, I get to speak here from time to time and I'm really honored to be asked to come and be a part of the series that you've been watching uh, here recently. Today, what we're covering is basically the topic of anger. I have entitled this message, My Angry Heart, and as much as it is about my angry heart, it's really about all of our angry heart. So we're going we're gonna to take a deep dive into Scripture that I think is incredibly helpful stuff at helping us understand something about anger, but something uh, even beyond that. And you'll see what I mean as we get into it. When you think about anger, there's really, when I was first asked to do this, I really thought there's about three different messages I want to give related to anger. One is, anger is a secondary emotion to hurt. So you can't really talk about anger unless you also talk about hurt. Uh, we feel hurt, and we usually skip the hurt and go straight to, go straight to anger. Uh, in all seriousness, I was married 17 years before I ever used the phrase in marriage, it really hurt my feelings when. But I'd said a thousand times, you made me mad when. So uh, a message related to healing hurts and the, the hurts and the wounds in our life would be key related to this topic. Now the other place, another place that anger shows up is anger is one of the two main emotions that go with grief, anger and sadness. So anytime we experience a loss, we grieve. And anytime we're grieving, we'll have those two emotions. If it's a small, insignificant loss, we'll have a small, insignificant amount of that emotion. But if it's a large, profound loss, uh, sadness and anger are um, incredibly common. It's just part of the grieving process. So that's another message in and all, of it, all, all by itself is to look at what Scripture says and teaches us about dealing with loss and grief. But where we're going today is to talk not so much about the emotion of anger or the experience of grief, we're going to talk about the expression of anger, the expression. I had a fellow in counseling one time. This was 20 years ago in uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado. He came in, and the judge had ordered him to go get anger management counseling. And he came in, and he told me a story, his story, where he had been arrested because of a road rage incident on the interstate. He and another guy got in a shoving match over... Um, over whatever their conflict was. And, uh, he, and he and the other guy, pe the traffic had come to a stop and people had called the cops on them because they're in a shoving match, started throwing fists. Anyway, both of them got hauled off in handcuffs. He came in and he told me this story. And I said to him at some point, I said, well, here's the good news. You don't have an anger problem. <laughs> and he was, really, he was a funny guy. He said, well, Doc, you must not have been listening very good because I got hauled off in handcuffs and I've been a hothead all my life. And I said, no, I was listening good, and uh, I get it. However, you feeling angry is not going to be our definition of the problem. You don't have an anger problem. You have an anger expression problem. We're going to address the fact that not if, but when you feel angry, you don't do stuff that lands you in jail. And don't, you don't do stuff that is an expression of a normal and quite frankly, healthy emotion, just like a lot of other emotions, 
that your expression of it was very unhealthy and dysfunctional and even sinful and hurtful. So that's what we're talking about today. And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures that talk about our expression of anger. So let's, let's jump right in. You know, in our culture, licenses, license are a big deal. If you're 16 and you want to drive, you get a driver's license. Uh, I love to hunt and fish. And in the state of Texas, I guess in all states, they require you to have a license to hunt and fish. And I have one. And if you're a brain surgeon, I'm hoping there's a license involved. And I suspect there is. It's a medical license. It's a, it's a license to practice medicine. Almost everything that has the power of life and death requires a license, except one thing, and that thing is your and my mouth, your mouth, the things you say, the things that come off your tongue. There's not so much the mouth, but it's the tongue. Uh, scripture says that the tongue is a powerful, it's a, pow it's a powerful uh, part of our life. We're going to look, let's jump into James, the book of James in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James is, the book of James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Matter of fact, some scholars believe that James was actually, had been reading the Proverbs from um, the ancient uh, wisdom literature, and, and having read those Proverbs, he formed and penned the book of James. Well, our memory verse for today in light of that is Proverbs 8, 18, 21, and it says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So let me begin, when we talk about the tongue, let me begin by stating the obvious. The tongue is powerful, and with it we can do much damage, we can crush somebody's spirit. We can kill somebody's dream. We can fill someone with resentment. We can make other people, even our own children, afraid. On the other hand, when you say the right word at the right time, someone alone realizes they are not alone, but they're loved. Someone confused can have direction and guidance. Someone ready to give up all of a sudden has hope. The right words can give correction to someone who's about to make the biggest mistake of their life. Words created by the mind and tongue really do have the power of life and death. Let's walk through the passage and make a couple of applications. Verse 1 says, I particularly like this application. Verse 1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Anybody there on that side of the camera want to trade places? <laughs> who wants to sign up for being judged more strictly? Scripture talks all throughout Bible cover to cover about judgment. Nobody gets away with anything in God's economy. 
All sin is paid for either uh, by us or by Jesus on the cross. So judgment's a real thing. And James says, those of you who aspire and those of you who are teachers, he says it right here, you're going to be judged more strictly than those who don't. Teachers of God's Word are judged, are judged by God more strictly than those who aren't. That's a huge burden of responsibility, and because it's a burden of responsibility, it's heavy, and sometimes it's fatiguing. So in light of that, here's, here's just what I think is the application for those of you who aren't teachers. Be slow to gripe about those who are, okay? Uh, because they, and in my case, we, we're already being judged by God and, quite frankly, everybody else more strictly than everybody else is. So how's that for an application? Stop griping and complaining so much about the preacher because you didn't like the message. He's already being judged more strictly anyway. Verse 2 says, We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. The person who perfectly controls their tongue has perfect self-control and perfect impulse control. No one watching right now is that person. None of us have arrived. None of us. Some of you are noteworthy, and I, and I aspire to be more like you. But none of us have arrived, and none of us are finished products. So in light of that, we can all collectively embrace some humility, which I know has already been talked about in this series. That's a great place to aspire to be, to express humility. Verse 3 through 6, James gives us four word pictures to describe the power of the tongue. The first one's in verse 3, and it says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. So the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. Whoever controls the bit controls the powerful horse. Verse 4 says, or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and are driven by strong winds, so this was written during a time when there were only sailing ships, they're driven by strong winds. They're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So the tongue is like the rudder on a ship. Whoever controls the rudder controls the direction of the entire ship. I meet so many people in counseling who will use metaphors like, my life went off the rails or my life went into the ditch. And when you start hearing about the story, it usually was connected to something that was said by them or by others to them. That's the tongue. Verse 5, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. It may be a small part of the body, but just like a single match, it can start a devastating fire. A devastating fire. Verse 6 says, The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. That's the whole, my life went off the rails. My life went into the ditch. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. And is itself, this is the most powerful thing you're going to hear in this passage. And is itself 
set on fire by hell. I mean, men and women, the scripture here is, is trying to sober us up and not have a relaxed view of, are the things I say a big deal? They're an incredible big deal. James, I believe, is saying here that when, not if, we misuse our tongues, we are committing spiritual or relational arson. It can be devastating, just devastating. Can anyone miss the point here? The tongue is powerful. Your tongue, your word, your words are powerful. Verse 7 says, All kind of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea, are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. It can't be tamed. You can try, but I believe any change you see in your speech will be short-lived if your focus is on taming the tongue. So it would raise the question, well, Matt, what was what all this about taming the tongue, and now you're telling me it can't be tamed? I want you to, I mean, here's the thing. If we don't come to grips with, this is a powerful part of my body that can't be tamed, something bigger is going to have to happen in order for it to be in order for change to occur. Verse 9 goes on to say, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James's overpowering point here is whatever comes out of the mouth over our tongue reveals what's in our heart. It reveals what's inside of us. It's a metaphor that the tongue is the problem. The problem is the inability to control the tongue because of what's going on somewhere deeper in us. And Scripture would call that in our heart. Jesus says it this way. These are right from the words of Christ in Matthew 12, 33. Read along with me. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But listen to this. This is sobering. Last, the last verse here. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. The word men is not men only masculine. It's men meaning mankind. Women too. We're all going to have to give an account of every careless word we've ever spoken. It's a big deal. Careless words are a big deal. I have a job because of careless words. And I'm trying to make that go away. 
So if I have a mouth problem, I have a heart problem. That's the real issue. Whatever is going on in my heart over time will eventually come out of my mouth. I can try by I, I can try to control by willpower my mouth, but if my heart doesn't change, inevitably my mouth is going to lead. So Jesus talks about the tongue here, just and he, he just stops and he really doesn't say what to do about it. Well, Proverbs has the skill set. So if you're looking for a new skill set, listen to these Proverbs, for example. Here, here, here we got four skills that you can apply. First one is this, Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. First skill, don't speak in haste. Slow down. Don't speak in haste. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to say it. Stay silent. Grow at, grow at being a listener and less at being a speaker. Not everybody wants to know what you think all the time. It's important to say what you think at times. Learn, learn the difference. Stay silent more often. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. A friend of mine says, flattery is like perfume. It's okay to smell, you just don't want to drink it. Uh, a lying hurts, lying hurts people. It's destructive. It's hurtful. It comes out of the heart. Stop lying. Stop flattering. Stop believing flattery. Uh, Proverbs eleven twelve. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Proverbs fifteen one. I love this one. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's you some skills. Speak less. Listen more. Don't speak in haste. And when you do speak, uh, speak or respond or even react with a gentle answer. Those are skills. But remember, skills will bring relief. Skills don't bring lasting change. Let's go for lasting change. Here's where we'll find it. What I'm saying is let's go for more than a new skill set. Let's go for a changed heart, a new heart, a renewed heart. Almost all spiritual change or growth is prompted by prayer. And I want to give you, in closing, two prayers that will change your heart, thus changing what comes out of your mouth and over your tongue, and will diminish the raging fires that we are capable of starting with our tongue. Okay? First one comes from uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, and it's Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. This is pretty interesting. Uh, he's having a vision. Isaiah is having a vision. And he says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So imagine this vision. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. That's an angel, basically. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And when they spoke, it says in verse 4, 
At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So he has this vision of these angels coming, and when they spoke, it was like an earthquake. It's a big deal. And he says in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of these angels, one of the seraphs, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. It's a picture of cleansing or purifying. So here's the prayer. I'll give you three versions. These are my words. You find your own words. But this is the essence of the first prayer. It goes like this. It's not long. It's pretty simple and straightforward. Oh God, cleanse my mouth. Or it may be, dear God, if you're from the healthcare community, dear God, cauterize my lips. Or if you're some, from the South, you might just say, sweet Jesus, cleanse my tongue. It's an appeal to God to cleanse or purify or stop that which is bleeding out of our mouth. Oh God, cleanse my mouth. Cleanse my tongue. That's the first prayer. Second prayer comes from Psalm 51. This is right after David conspired in a murder plot and also committed adultery. And he's, and he's praying out to God in Psalm 51. It starts in verse 10. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Oh God, you will not despise. You hear the humility in that? You hear the appropriate brokenness that says, yeah, my tongue and my lips and my heart are an absolute mess. Begin, Father, by cleansing my heart, cauterizing my lips, cleansing my tongue. And then he says, dear God, create in me a clean heart. So the second prayer is simply that. Heavenly Father, dear God, God Almighty, create in me a clean heart again. And I would add, and again, and again. This isn't a prayer you pray once and you're good to go. It's a prayer you pray throughout your life. It's a prayer for continual cleansing, purification, cauterizing our lips. Two prayers, one for pure lips, and another for a clean heart. Do not overthink this. You can do this. We all can do this. We can cry out to God because we see in our lives that our tongue is a force for destruction and unloving, hurtful, destructive behavior. We got people who live with us who, who we love so incredibly much, who we've hurt and wounded, and will show up in a counselor's office someday to talk about how they were wounded and distressed 
by the things their mom and dad and brothers and sisters and colleagues and sometimes even the things they said to themselves in the mirror has had such a destructive effect in their life. Pray these two prayers. Oh God, cleanse my lips. Oh sweet Jesus, create in me a, new, a clean heart. Cleanse me. Renew me. Change my heart. You'll see the destructive power of your tongue will begin to diminish. It won't change overnight, but it'll start to diminish. The first thing that will happen, if it's not, is you'll, you'll start to feel differently about the words that come out of your mouth that aren't loving. And then you'll start to make necessary changes in your life. Let's pray together. And I'm going to pray just what we've been talking about. Dear Heavenly Father, that's our prayer, that you would, in fact, cleanse our lips, cleanse our tongue, and that you would, even deeper than that, create in us a new heart. That's our hope and prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.